said that God would send the Advocate, the Holy Spirit in his name, to teach us everything and remind us of all that Jesus said. Come, Holy Spirit, breathe into us the winds of new life, kindle in us the fire of love. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue of fire rested upon each of them. Come, Holy Spirit, breathe into us the winds of new life, Kindle in us the fire of love. The apostles were led by the Spirit to witness to Jesus' resurrection and bring people from every race and nation to faith in God through Jesus Christ. Paul, even though a prisoner, made every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He preached that there is one body and one Spirit just as we were called to the one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Let's pray. God of wind and fire, you have breathed into us the new life of our risen and ascended Lord, as your spirit anointed Jesus to heal the sick and proclaim the good news to the oppressed. Send us, empowered by that spirit, to bring comfort to those who suffer, release to the captives, food and drink to those who hunger and thirst. May the Holy Spirit bind us in your love, and unite us in the one body of Jesus Christ our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Cumberland, um, and was overlooking the dock where my family kept their boat. And I could, I could stand there when it would rain, and that was one of my favorite places to be. I could almost always hear the rain coming before I saw it, but there were signs that it was coming. I knew to expect the rain when the silver maples turned their leaves upside down to receive the water. And it was about then that my grandmother and I would walk down to that cliff, and we would stand at the lake and just watch the rain come. The best part was looking down the lake because it always seemed to come from the same place. And we could watch the rain as it blew across the still glassy surface in what was like a wave. And it made the still water look like it was boiling all of a sudden. Before the rain would come, the birds would get silent. The bugs would get silent. And the air would get heavy and thick. And in the distance, you could hear something that was like static that got louder and louder as the rain traveled pelting the earth. And I would stand at the edge of the cliff watching the bend 
of the lake for the water to change. And I could see the difference between the rough and smooth water contrasted as the curtain swept across the water. And as I stood anticipating the rain overtaking the still water in front of me, I remember feeling overwhelmed, inundated, and absolutely immersed as the wind brought the rain sweeping over my place on the cliff. Imagine yourself as one of the disciples on this day of Pentecost. You're together in a home with everyone who had been traveling with you and with Jesus for three years. And you're wondering what's going to happen next. You're sharing stories, maybe, of listening, learning, witnessing the miracles of healing. And you're talking about watching the scriptures being opened to people as your teacher spoke. And at the same time, you're feeling abandoned because Jesus had ascended. You watched him go. Your final vision of him was the bottoms of his sandals as he rose. You and your friends are alone, wondering how you're going to continue without your teacher. But you're trying to be faithful to his command to stay put and wait for a power from on high that you don't even know what it's going to be like. You're uncertain of what tomorrow might bring. And then suddenly, like the rain swept across the lake of my childhood, a wind and a fire came roaring among you. Tongues of fire separated and came to rest over each and every person's head. And you and your companions feel this desire that you absolutely cannot resist to stand and preach the gospel. And as you preach the gospel, the people that are outside from all different places, from all different nations, from different ethnicities who speak different languages can hear you and understand you in their own tongue. It must have been overwhelming to be a part of that Pentecostal miracle. And as we're here today, we are celebrating the day of Pentecost. Penta is the prefix five, and we're now 50 days after Resurrection Sunday. We're transitioning in the church calendar from a focus on Jesus' incarnational ministry with us here on earth to a ministry of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit indwells the church. We're transitioning from Jesus walking among us, being present, teaching and preaching and healing to a time in which Jesus the man is no longer here on earth. Today we're celebrating the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that he would empower his disciples with a power from on high. And that as his disciples today, we aren't left alone. We have a comforter, an advocate, a guide. 
For us here at Stony Brook, Pentecost Sunday coincides with Change the World Sunday. It used to be called Church's Verb Sunday. And this is a Sunday in which we as a faith community go out into our larger community and we use whatever skills, talents, and resources are available to us to help those who are in need. In essence, this Sunday, we didn't come to church. This Sunday, we're going to be the church in our community. And this is the call that Christ has placed on every single one of our lives. It's the call that he placed on his followers as he left them. Today we celebrate the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all believers for the building up of the body. In the words of British theologian N.T. Wright, Pentecost is the day that we celebrate that the Spirit was given to us so that God's work may be done through us. We celebrate today the power that resides within each one of us through our baptism as followers of Christ to go and to bear witness to God's great deeds in the world as those deeds happen throughout history and as they continue to happen today. There are two great difficulties with the coming of the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to solve our problems, but rather the Holy Spirit comes and creates problems. I'm going to say it again. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to solve our problems, but the Holy Spirit comes and creates problems. Imagine yourself as one of the apostles. Jesus has been with you, among you, teaching You've left your home, you've left your livelihood to follow this prophet. And now he's gone, not for the first time, but for the second time. You watched him go. You're with the other disciples and apostles in the upper room. You're waiting, you're praying on this Holy Spirit that Jesus promised he would send. And this sound comes in and tongues of flame appear on the heads of everyone. And you start to share this story. And you hear yourself speaking in your own language. And it computes. But how can it be that those people out there are understanding? Everyone's in awe. Everyone out there is amazed and they're confused at this new power and ability that you've been given. Two worlds that have always been clearly separated have collided, heaven and earth. But new problems are created when those two worlds collide. What happens after the gospel message is heard? What happens after the spirit moves and after the wind quiets down? The collision of the two worlds offer opportunities for change. Have you ever had an experience yourself where two separate worlds collided that you didn't expect to be together? 
I'm just going to give you a little one, and since there are graduates here, uh, I think you'll understand this. Do you remember the first time you ever saw one of your teachers at the grocery store? <laughs> or like at the movies, and you're like, you leave the school? <laughs> like, you belong in school. I saw somebody this week at a movie, and I was like, wait, you don't belong here. <laughs> And I'm sure he was thinking the same thing about me. It's when those, when those two worlds collide and, and you have little expectation of it. I remember Mrs. Bowman. Um, I lived in a small town in Germantown, and I remember second grade. I was in the IGA with my mom, and we were standing by the canned peaches. I don't know why I remember this. Um, <laughs> But Mrs. Bowman says hi to me standing like next to the canned peaches and I just remember standing there thinking, no, like, <laughs> no, go back to school. <laughs> we just had no concept that teachers ate or that they slept anywhere but in the classroom because in my young mind, she belonged at school. So for the early followers of Christ, the concepts of heaven and earth had always been separate. God resided in heaven because God is too holy to be on earth with the likes of us, sinners, depraved humanity. But with the ascension of Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit, the worlds of heaven and earth collide. The power of God comes to earth and indwells God's people. The kingdom of heaven enters the kingdom of earth and begins to impact life on earth. Where before the ascension, Jesus as God's son was the representative of the kingdom of heaven. At Pentecost, the disciples are all filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to become representatives of the kingdoms of, kingdom of heaven and world changers. In the colliding of heaven and earth, the disciples' lives are even further changed. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, the disciples knew that life had changed. Living expectations had changed. They had choices to make. They could return to their original lives as fishermen and tax collectors while forgetting what Christ had accomplished in them and through them. How Christ was a living beacon that pointed to God. Or they could choose to remember what Christ had done. All the ways he pointed to the Father and the fulfillment of the promise to send the Spirit and then move forward in that new life in the Spirit. I was reading this week that successful young people tend to work differently than we prepare them to work. Today's successful young people don't start out by building the self, but rather by looking outside for a problem in the world and allowing themselves to be formed as they work to find a solution for that problem. That's something I really admire. They allow themselves to be transformed by responding to a felt need in the community. I believe as a church we could learn much 
from this model? What is the felt need in our community that is begging for a response? How can we speak to that need while we bear the love of Christ? Through the pursuit to answering these questions, we can become a congregation that grows into maturity through our response to a problem. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, problems are created, they're out there. But problems are revealed to us in order that we might respond. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to solve our problems for us, but to reveal them. Now, the second difficulty of the Holy Spirit is that having the Holy Spirit doesn't prevent failure. I don't know about you, but I don't like to fail. So what if we invite the Holy Spirit to come? Are we inviting failure upon ourselves? That doesn't sound like a great strategy for church growth, does it? Well, the Holy Spirit invites us to find victory or to be fulfilled in and through our setbacks and failures. It's like the paradox of the cross. Christ was victorious in death. Christ brought eternal life through his death and resurrection. We as the church can find growth through our own deaths and resurrections. As the disciples sat huddled in fear, awaiting the empowerment that Jesus promised, they experienced resurrection as the flames of the Spirit settled upon each one at Pentecost. So Thomas Edison is possibly one of the greatest inventors of all time. He was expelled from school at an early age, and he found it difficult to actually be present in the classroom. By age 12, he had read all of the books in his local library, including Newton's Laws of Physics. Well, that's an easy read. But he couldn't get along with his peers in the classroom. He died at age 84 with 1,093 patents to his name. He invented the electric incandescent light bulb. He did not succeed right away, however. This is what he said about his 10,000 failed attempts. I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Edison capitalized on his failures. He learned from them. And they caused him to grow into maturity. And ultimately, they were the steps by which he reached the throne of his goal. What he started with, however, was a problem. I never perfected an invention I did not think about in terms of service it might give to others. I find out what the world needs, and then I seek to invent. Edison was less concerned with failure than he was about obedience to his lifelong goal. There's a message in this for us as a congregation. Our invitation and opportunity here in Gehanna is to look around us, to discover the needs of our community, and then work together to meet those needs and pray for the Spirit to guide us 
on how we meet those needs to the best of our ability as a community. What we do on Change the World Sunday is an excellent start. What we must continually ask is what can make it better? Are we meeting needs as Jesus did? Can the people whom we help on Change the World Sunday, the people who we help with outdoor work, the kids and families we serve at United Methodist Children's Home, the people who receive the food we pack this morning, are they going to find a new relationship? Are they going to see how Jesus has impacted our lives? Have we reached our goal? What we have in these ministries is awesome, but let's continue to nurture and grow them. Success is not our ultimate goal, but rather obedience to the Spirit's leading, prompting, and guiding in our work for Christ's glory. We may not succeed with every attempt that we make in community, but we must not be afraid to reach our entire town, county, state, country, and world for Christ's kingdom. God didn't promise us an easy ride when we decided to follow him. But God did promise that he would never leave us alone. Our obedience to the Spirit's leading will require hard work, effort, and a stick-to-it kind of behavior from us all. We can't shrink from the challenge. So stop for just a minute. Look in the pew next to you, or in front of you, or around you. Who isn't here? Who's not here? Who's missing? Who in our community at Gehanna is not worshiping anywhere today? And what can we do to help them see the love of Christ for themselves? This is the kind of work that we were made for. When we choose to receive the Spirit, we choose to live forward into the challenge. We choose to live empowered with a love that exists to change the world. Who will join me as we pray for our brothers and sisters who have not yet experienced for themselves the love of God? Let's pray. Gracious God, you have sent your Holy Spirit to rest upon each and every one of us. Fill us. Renew us. And kindle in us the fire of your love that burns so brightly that we want to share it with everyone. God, empower us with the courage to see beyond the surface, to know who needs your love and to offer that love to them through our actions, through our deeds, through our prayers, through our relationships. God, give us courage to speak to new people to forge new relationships, to make mistakes, to take risks, 
so that we can be a part of your kingdom building. In Christ's holy name, amen. I'd invite you to stand as we conclude our service today, and I know you're anxious to get out and to serve, but continue to think about who's not here and strike up a conversation today wherever you're working so that new people can know the love of Christ.